Good evening. Welcome to the evening service at Beckles Baptist Church. We're coming to you online through YouTube during this time of shutdown. Glad you're able to meet with us this evening and trust that you'll be blessed as we share together uh, in worship and in receiving God's word. My name is Roger Prime. I'm a member of the church here and I'm going to be leading the service this evening and also uh, ministering God's word. Let me read a few verses as we commence our service. You'll discover that the theme of our service is uh, the, the Christian living in the world. And uh, Jesus, in his prayer, just before he was taken back into heaven, or before he was crucified and then raised from the dead and then to return to heaven, the Lord Jesus prayed for his disciples. And he prayed these words, taken from John 17 and verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Well, let's join together in a word of prayer as we commence our service. Father, we thank you for these words of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe that just as much as he prayed then for his disciples as they lived out their faith in the world, so we believe that Jesus prays for us still today as we, his followers, live out our faith in the world. And we pray that as we meet together this evening, that you will open up the scriptures to us and help us to see what it means for us as Christians to be in the world, but not of the world. So bless our time together now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm going to hand over to uh, Emily Fenning, and Emily's going to bring our Bible reading for this evening. It's from the first letter of John, chapter 2, and verses 12 to 17. We're going through this book on a Sunday evening uh, under the theme of the confident Christian, and uh, Emily's going to read the next section of the book that we're going to look at. Good evening. Our reading this evening is from 1 John, chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes from not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. I wonder how confident you feel 
in facing the world now that the lockdown restrictions are beginning to be eased. If you've been off work, maybe you're facing the prospect of returning to work. If you're a parent, how do you feel about sending your child or children off to school? If you're a teacher, how do you feel about going back to, to school if your school is reopening uh, this week? When you go out shopping, how confident do you feel as you go into the shops that you're going to be safe? We live in a world that doesn't feel like a safe place anymore. Uh, the coronavirus, or COVID-19, has spread around much of the world. It's a hidden danger that we cannot see. We only see the consequences of the, the virus. And sadly, some of those consequences are very tragic. Stay alert, says the government. So we try to stay alert. We use hand wipes and hand gels uh, when we go out perhaps to the supermarket. We wear masks to uh, cover our faces uh, when we're out. We practice social distance. We do all we can to protect ourselves. But how confident do we really feel that we're safe as we go out into the world? The reality is we face a hidden danger in this virus that has caused not just a pandemic, but also an epidemic of fear in many hearts. And many people are very frightened and afraid uh, of going out and facing the world. In many ways, the situation we face in our world today, which is caused by the pandemic, is a picture for us of the challenges we face as Christians living in the world today. The passage we've just read warns us that there is a hidden enemy out there in the world who, like the virus, is unseen, yet a deadly danger to the believer in the Lord Jesus. Our passage contains a solemn warning to us. Just look in the passage here. 1 John chapter 2, the 2 refers to the chapter number, the big number 2, and the small numbers refer to the verse numbers and to verse 15. And there John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. That's a very solemn and a very challenging word that John gives to us there. Not to love the world or anything in the world, because if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. We have to ask ourselves a question, what does John mean by the world? Does he mean the natural world, the created world, the world that during this time of shutdown many of us have been able to enjoy, whether it's in our gardens or whether we've been getting out for our daily walk, we've been able to enjoy the spring flowers, we've been able to enjoy uh, the birds, the song of the birds, uh, see them nesting. There's much about the world that we can enjoy. Uh, the psalmist uh, uh, says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But that's not the world that John is talking about. He's not talking about the natural world. But the word world is also used to describe mankind, humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 And when we consider God's great love for humanity, for men and women, in our need of salvation we have to say that it's not that picture of the world that John has in mind. If God so loved the world, then we too are to love uh, the fallen humanity in their great need. Uh, 
So what is it that John is referring to? Well, if we just turn the page or two of our Bible over to chapter 5 of, um, of 1 John, and there in verse 19, we discover there that John says this, We know that we are children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. What John is telling us there is that there is a spiritual dimension to this world that is under the control of Satan, the evil one. Like the coronavirus, we can't see this spiritual dimension to our world uh, that is opposed to God. But we see the evidence of it in society, a society whose values are utterly opposed to God, a society where lifestyles reject the truth and the morality of God's word, a society in which governments rule without any reference to God and are often utterly opposed to God. In fact, all human activity that is lived without any reference to God is under the control of the evil one and is opposed to God. This world is dominated by a quest for pleasure, profit and position, self-interest and self-indulgence. And it is a world that is a great threat to the Christian. That's why John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And yet it is a world that we can have confidence as Christians to face. And we shall see that from our passage this evening. That we don't need to be frightened or afraid. We can have confidence to go out into the world. But before we talk about the confidence that we can have as Christians, we need to think a little bit more about the challenge. So the challenge is, do not love the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Jesus himself said on one occasion, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and, or, and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. It's a serious challenge, isn't it? That we cannot, as it were, have a foot in both camps. We cannot be on the Lord's side and yet also have a foot in the world. It's important to notice how subtle this temptation is because as we see how John describes it here, we realise it's exactly the same temptation that was faced in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve. You see, John says that the temptation there in verse 16 is the lust of the flesh. And we read in Genesis that when Eve saw the fruit, the forbidden fruit, it was pleasing to eat. It was good to eat. Then John talks about the lust of the eyes. And when Eve looked at the fruit, she saw that it was pleasing to the eye. And then John talks about the pride of life. And Eve saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. How proud that would make them, that they had this wisdom and uh, a new uh, good and evil, just as God knows good and evil. The consequence for Adam and Eve, of course, was that they were shut out from the Garden of Eden. They were banned from the presence of God. And that's the danger that John warns us of here, to have a love for the world like that which Adam and Eve had when they fell into temptation is to separate us off from God. So we need to take seriously John's words here 
Do not love the world or anything in the world. When I was young, uh, worldliness was linked with various activities. You didn't go to the cinema if you were a Christian. You didn't go to the dance hall if you were a Christian. You didn't go and listen to the world's music if you were a Christian. That was considered worldly. Uh, and uh, not loving the world was about where you went and what you did. But what John is telling us here, I believe, is that it's not so much the outward activity, but what's in the heart that's the problem. It's the attitude in the heart. Adam and Eve, when they looked at the fruit, the fruit in itself was not evil. It was their attitude towards the fruit that led them into sin. And in the same way, much of what we may talk about this evening is not evil in itself, but our attitude towards it may lead us into worldly behaviour and sinful behaviour. So John lists uh, various ways in which the world might attract us. And he talks about the lust of the flesh. Now physical appetites in themselves are not wrong. Uh, food and drink are good for us. We need food and drink to live and to sustain our bodies. And yet, you know, they can easily become a snare to us. Drink can lead us into alcoholism uh, and can ruin our lives. And the sad thing is that during this lockdown, uh, shops are reporting a big increase in the sale of alcohol. And so easily we can get taken down that road that we enjoy a drink, but it then becomes uh, an addiction to us. Or drugs, uh, and how many people have had their lives ruined because they took a little pill uh, just for a thrill or excitement, but it has led them into um, a drug addiction. In the same way, sexual desires are right and they are natural. They're given to us by God. They are the means of um, uh, continuing the human race. Uh, the love of a man and a woman and their expression of that love in the God-given gift of marriage is right. But we live in a society where sex has become a god, an idol, uh, where people abuse and misuse sex. And the danger is, as Christians, that we can get trapped into that same uh, snare that the world is in, the lust of the flesh. Money itself is necessary for our daily living. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, uh, says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And how easy it is for us to become obsessed with money, either that we have more money or the way that we use our money, that we use it in uh, extravagant and worldly ways. And we are not wise in the way that we make use of it. But John also talks about the lust of the eyes. And the eyes have been described as being like a bridge. A bridge through which the temptations of the world out there enter into our minds and into our hearts. The lust of the eyes. Just think about King David, for instance, in the Old Testament. Uh, King David's men were uh, out on the battlefield, but David was at home alone in his palace. And as he walked on the roof of his palace, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. And what he saw turned to lust. And he sent for Bathsheba. And he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And not, did, and not, not only did it lead to adultery, but it led to murder. 
And in many ways, David's life was never the same again. Although he knew God's mercy and grace to forgive his fallen sin, yet he knew trouble in his family that stayed with him for the rest of, of his days. And how easy it is for the eyes to become the bridge or the gateway for lust to enter into our hearts. How easy it is to put on the television and see something on the television that uh, gives wrong thoughts uh, as we uh, are drawn into lustful thoughts and uh, uh, watching programs and uh, lifestyles uh, that glamorize sin and sinful behavior and that are opposed to God. How many people have been lured, lured into pornography through the internet, through what they've seen? And as they've looked on the internet, they have been led into uh, pornography and all that that does in the mind. How easy to see the adverts on the television, to look at other people's lifestyles and to envy that lifestyle to look at their homes, to look at their cars, to look at their possessions, and to think, if only I could be like them. The lust of the eyes leads us into worldly attitudes. Job, in the Old Testament, wrote these words in Job 31 and verse 1. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully. And that's a good uh, thought for us as Christians that we make a covenant with our eyes that we will not let uh, ourselves view, whether it's watching on the television, the internet, reading, listening to, that we will make a covenant that we will guard ourselves against what we watch and what we listen to, that we will rid our homes uh, of books and magazines that may cause us to long for that which is ungodly, worldly and sinful. And then John talks about uh, the temptation of the pride uh, of life. Uh, one translation uh, of these words is boasting about we ha what we have and achieve. Concern for possessions, status, our image. That's what the world is about. And how easy it is for us to get caught up in that sort of pride. Uh, what we got, what our status is, what our image is as, as people look at us. We want to be like the world around us and so we crave to be uh, like the world in our possessions, in our status, in the image that we present for the work to the world. The sad thing, you know, is that pride can even creep into our Christian faith and we can be proud about what we do, what we achieve as believers. We want to impress others by what we do and what we're involved in. Even in our church. How big is our church? What are we doing as a church? How busy are we? It's not about us. It's about God and what God is doing in and through us and in his church and through his church. But the pride of life, the boasting of what we have and achieve can even creep into our Christian faith and we need to guard against that. We speak about the temptations of the world at a time when much of the world actually has been shut down, hasn't it? To a large degree, uh, much of what we would normally look to enjoy in the world, sport, that's been shut down. Entertainment, that's all been shut down. Shopping for non-essentials, trivial shopping, that's all been shut down. Holidays, lavish overseas holidays, they're off the agenda. 
maybe God has allowed this to come uh, for us as Christians to give us an opportunity to take stock and to say to ourselves, are there things about this shutdown that we have missed? That we've missed more than our relationship with the Lord. That we've missed more than being together with God's people. We've missed more than being able to show God's love and share God's love in the world. It's a challenging thought, isn't it? That uh, we do need to maybe to take stock and to focus afresh upon our relationship with uh, the Lord. But this shutdown is not just an opportunity for us to take stock. It's also an opportunity for us, or it could be, to fall into deeper sin. There is a danger that when we've got more time on our hands and we've got the uh, ease of the, uh, the internet and uh, the television, that we find ourselves going down a route where we engage in looking at and searching for things that are sinful and ungodly in, in, uh, in the Lord's sight. That can be a great temptation and a great danger and we need to be on our guard. Uh, the uh, Prime Minister's words, stay alert, are words that uh, we will echo as Christians. Be on your guard, stay alert, says the scripture, that we guard our hearts against the temptations that come. So here is the challenge then. It is the challenge not to love the world or anything in the world. Uh, but we can move on from the challenge to talk about our confidence. And our confidence is in the Father's love. The Father's love. Notice, will you, what John says in verse 15 here, when he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. He says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. There is a contrast here between loving the world and loving God. We cannot be in love with the world and also love God as our Heavenly Father as well. Now you may notice that um, if you've got a Bible that has footnotes at the bottom, that there is a little footnote at the bottom which tells us that that expression, love for the Father, could be translated the Father's love. Is John talking about our love for the Father or the Father's love for us? There's a real sense in which we can't separate the two, actually. Just look in chapter 4 of, of 1 John. Big number, chapter 4, and verse 19, little number um, 19. And John says there, We love because he first loved us. Our love for God comes out of our experience of his love for us. And therefore, we can't separate the two out. In fact, I believe that our love for the Father, flowing out of the Father's love for us, points us to the fact that our confidence and our security as Christians is not so much in our love for the Father, but in the Father's love for us. Because his love does not change, and his love is strong, and his love holds us uh, tightly. And so it is that... Uh, our confidence to face the world is found in the verses that precede verse 15, the, the first part of our reading. 
Because here, John is speaking about our experience, I believe, of the Father's love. And it is our experience of the Father's love that will feed our love for the Father and help us, as it were, to love the Father rather than love the world. What John writes here is, is quite important because you'll notice he keeps repeating himself. Uh, he says there in verse 12, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And then verse 14, uh, he repeats, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. Then in verse 13, he says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know who, him who is from the beginning. And again in verse 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And then again in verse 13, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And again in verse 14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. What John writes here is very important. That's why he writes in this emphatic way, repeating uh, himself. Some commentators think, um, and probably rightly so, that uh, as we look at these verses here, that John is writing to Christians at different stages of their Christian life. Uh, dear children being uh, young believers in the faith, fathers being older mature believers in the faith, and young men being uh, the, the, the youth in the middle who uh, physically are strong but are to be spiritually strong uh, as well. But there is another way of looking at what John has to say here. When he says in verse 12, I'm writing to you, uh, dear children, He's using exactly the same expression that he uses in verse 1 of this same chapter. Chapter 2, big number, and number 1, my dear children. And there he's writing to the whole church. And I believe that what John has to say here, whilst they may be relevant to different stages of our Christian lives, are three foundational truths that, that should be true for every believer. And therefore we're going to, to look at them in that way, that these uh, express the love that God has uh, for us, the Father's love. So notice, will you, in uh, uh, verse 12, John says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. The Christian life begins with our experience of sins forgiven. And that forgiveness is not something that we can achieve for ourselves by doing good, by being religious, or trying to live better lives. Forgiveness comes on account of his name. That's a reference to the Lord Jesus. Forgiveness comes because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. In his coming to earth to live as a man, living a perfect life, dying upon a cross in the place of sinners, taking the punishment that we sinners deserve upon himself. When, as he died on the cross, he was separated from his father and cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken by his own father as he bore our sins in his body on the tree. A debt of sin that we could never pay has been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that flows out to the love of God in sending the Lord Jesus for us. Only as we see ourselves as sinners and we see the Lord Jesus as the one who died in our place, 
do we begin that Christian life. We begin as little children, but we all begin at the same point. Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Now it may be as you're listening into this service that you don't consider yourself a Christian, or maybe you consider yourself a Christian because you try and live a good life. Let me say it's lovely to have you joining in with us this evening. But what we need to understand is this, that the Christian life begins not by what we do by trying to live a good life, but by trusting in what Jesus has done in his death on the cross at Calvary. We all fall short of God's standard. And the Christian life begins as we confess that sin and our need of forgiveness and we come to put our faith in Jesus. But thinking about the temptation then of the world, Surely the truth here is this, that when we know just how much Christ has done for us, when we know the price that he paid for us, when we know the sacrifice that he made for our sin, how can we justify deliberately sinning? How can we justify uh, playing with the world and worldly temptations and allowing ourselves to go into sin when Christ has done so much to save us from that sin? The more we look back to Calvary and remember our Saviour, so the more it should strengthen us in our confidence that we can resist the world and all that is in the world. But secondly, uh, John speaks of those who know the Father. Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Now that is uh, almost certainly a reference to the Lord Jesus if you've been with us in previous weeks, you will know that there is a group that had left this church and they'd left this church because they had changed their view, their uh, understanding of certain fundamental truths and one of which was that they denied that Jesus was truly the Son of God. They thought that he was just an ordinary man, uh, the son of Joseph and Mary and that, um, uh, and that uh, God's Spirit came on him at a certain point in his life for his mission. But John will have none of that. He is from the beginning. And as Christians, when we put our faith in Jesus, we know him who is from the beginning, the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you notice um, that uh, in verse 14, John says to the children, because you know the Father. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. And as Christians, when we know forgiveness, we come into a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we enter into a living relationship with Jesus Christ, God's Son, and with the Father. Jesus even said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And when by faith we see Jesus in the pages of Scripture, we get to know the Father as well. And here is the wonderful privilege that we have as Christians, that we know the Father and we know the Son. We know them in a personal and an intimate way. And the thing about uh, getting to know a person is that the more you get to know them, so the more you understand their ways. If you personally meet someone you hadn't met before and you get to know them over a period of time, you begin to understand them and what they're really like. And the Christian life is not just uh, knowing God's forgiveness, but the Christian life is one in growing in our knowledge of God in our understanding of who he is. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we know Christ and we know the Father. And as we grow in our knowledge of both God, the Father, and of the Son, as we meet them in the pages of the Bible, 
uh, as we understand more and more of how great and how wonderful they are as we spend time in prayer with them and meeting with God's people so we mature in our knowledge of God. And the more we mature in our knowledge of God, the more we understand the way that God wants us to live as Christians. And the more we want to live in the right way as God wants us to live. And this is very important because just look at these words in verse 16. Let me read the whole verse uh, where John says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You see, the wonderful thing is, the more that we know God and the more we understand the Son and the Father, uh, we understand what their will and their purpose is for our lives. So it is that we understand that those who do the will of God will live forever. What a contrast to the world. You see, everything that the world offers to us will pass away. All the pleasures, all the possessions, all the attractions of the world, they will all pass away but those who do the will of God will live forever. That's why as Christians we need to grow in our love for God, in our knowledge and understanding of God and of his will in order that we may walk in his way and follow in his pathway. And so our second uh, ground of confidence is not just that our sins are forgiven and we want to resist all sin, but that we know the Father and the Son and we want to know them more and we want to understand their ways, their will and their purpose, that we might live for them. And then lastly, John writes to the young men. And he says there in um, uh, verse uh, 13, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Young men who are strong, strong to overcome uh, the uh, the evil one. And John repeats it there in verse 14. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. The confidence we have as Christians to face the temptations of the world is that we have overcome the evil one. Now what John writes there is actually in the past tense. He's saying you have overcome the evil one already. How is that? Well, the word of God tells us that when as Christians we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only do we know forgiveness and that the penalty of our sin has been uh, dealt with and is taken away, but when our faith is in the Lord Jesus, then the power of sin, the power that Satan holds over us, has been broken as well. And that is what John is referring to here, that already through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan has been overcome. The temptations of the evil one have been uh, overcome. But that victory has to be lived out in our lives day by day. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, John has this to say. And he says this. He says, You, dear children, are from God, and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This is the wonderful thing when we become Christians. 
that God, by his spirit, comes to live in our hearts and lives. And because he lives in our hearts and lives, the one who is living in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And although we may face many temptations from the world, in principle, the victory over temptation has been won already. But the practicalities need to be lived out in our lives day by day. We don't struggle alone to overcome temptation. We don't struggle alone to resist the lure and the attractions of the world. We do so knowing that God by his spirit lives within us. And the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. So whatever attractions the world may give to us, we can overcome them by the spirit and the strength of the one who lives within us. Now we have to arm ourselves for this struggle. And John tells us how we can do that there in verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Here is the crux of what John has to say here. That in the battle against the temptations of the world, the word of God is the, the, the thing that will feed our souls, that will strengthen our souls, that will put uh, um, um, metal into our backbone, that it will enable us to stand against the temptations of the world. And that's why the word of God is so central to our services when we meet as a church, that we are fed with God's word, that we're built up in the word of God. It's why having the word of God in our own homes, reading God's word daily uh, and feeding ourselves upon God's word, growing in our knowledge and understanding of God and his will through his word, that as we feed our souls regularly, daily, with the word of God, we arm ourselves with that which will enable us um, to resist the temptations. Paul, in, in writing his letter to the Ephesians, talks about the word of God as being the sword of the spirit. Here is our armament, here is our weapon, here is that which we can use to overcome the temptations. Maybe John, when he writes these words, might have in mind how the Lord Jesus, when he was tempted, he resisted the temptation by quoting scripture. And it was because of the, the, uh, the, the knowledge and understanding uh, of, of scripture that the Lord Jesus was able to recognize the temptation and resist it. And it is as we feed ourselves on God's word, we recognize the temptations, we're able to resist the temptations that come to us. And here then is the confidence that we can have. Confident in the Father's love, because the Father in his love has forgiven our sins. Because the Father in his love has made himself known to us that we know him and we know his will and purpose. The Father in his love strengthens us as his spirit lives within us and we overcome uh, the, uh, the temptations of the world in that strength, armed with the word of God. We can be confident to face the world because as we delight ourselves in the Father's love expressed in all he's done for us, we grow in our love for him and we want to live to please him and to do his will. And the assurance that we have is that whoever does the will of God lives forever.
Well, may God help us to stand firm in the face of the challenges of the world and confident in the Father's love. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that when Jesus prayed for his disciples, he prayed that they might be sanctified, made holy through the word of truth. We thank you, O Lord, that we believe that still today, that through your word, strengthened by your spirit, because of the Father's love and all that you've done for us, we can have the confidence to face a world, a world where we, uh, we know there is a spiritual battle to be fought, a world where we must resist the temptations that would lead us away from the Lord. Help us, O oh Lord, to grow in our love for the God who gave his all for us when he gave his Son, the Lord Jesus, for us. So bless your word to our hearts, we pray, and strengthen us that in the week that lies ahead, we may, as it were, heed this exhortation. Do not love the world, but rather grow in our love for the Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now we're going to uh, respond to God's word as we uh, have a couple of songs that are going to be included in our service at this point. Uh, the first of the songs, great, is Your Faithfulness. And it's a very familiar and a very favourite song of, of many people. Uh, but it speaks about uh, strength for today. He is the God who gives us strength for today and forgiveness of sin uh, as well. And then the second song, In Christ Alone My Hope Is Found. And again, expressing that our hope is in Christ, not in what the world has to offer, but in Christ and what he has done uh, for us. So we'll continue in worship and respond to God's word as we listen to these two songs. faithfulness oh God my father there is no shadow of turning with thee thou changest not thy compassions they fail not as thou hast been the forever thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies I see all I have needed thy hand have provided great is thy faithfulness Lord unto time and harvest sun moon and stars in their courses above join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness mercy and love 
faithfulness Great is thy faithfulness Morning by morning new mercies I see All I have needed thy hand hath provided Great is thy faithfulness Lord unto me for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with ten thousand beside thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies I see all I have needed thy hand hath provided great is thy faithfulness Lord unto
We're going to spend some time in prayer now. Uh, We're going to pray for our government and for wisdom in leading the country out of this lockdown, bearing in mind particularly that there will be uh, schools that will be reopening uh, this week uh, and all that that means for teachers and for children and families. Uh, We're also going to pray for the country of Zimbabwe. As a church, we have uh, various global mission partners And in Zimbabwe, we have an interest in two particular aspects of the work of God there. Uh, There is the Theological College in Bulawayo that we support, and we're going to pray for that work as they're now having to do their teaching online. And then we're also going to pray for the work of Zimbabwe Partnership Trust, which is involved not just in uh, training programs, which we have not been able to run this year because of the, the shutdown, but also various humanitarian projects which are continuing and are so necessary at this time. And then we're going to mention needs in the fellowship. So let's come before the Lord in prayer, shall we? Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a sovereign God and that you are the God who not only created the world and all that is in it, but you are the one who controls and upholds all things by your great power. And we thank you, O Lord, that you are a God who, in the midst of the confusion and the uncertainty over this uh, coronavirus that has caused so much uh, chaos around the world, that you're the God who is still upon the throne, and we thank you. We pray for governments of the world, that you'll give them great wisdom as they seek to manage this ongoing situation. Particularly, we pray for our own government and the changes that are being brought about Uh, in uh, easing lockdown and seeking to return some aspects of life to uh, normality. We pray particularly for uh, schools that may be reopening this week, uh, for teachers who may be going in, perhaps apprehensive and wondering what it will be like, for families that have children that will be going in. We do pray that you will grant that um, uh, they may know something of, of a peace of heart and mind as they commit their children to go back to school and we pray for the children that you will help them in the uncertainty which can be frightening for them but we pray that they may feel secure and safe and will be well cared for and helped as they return to school. We pray particularly for teachers in our own fellowship that maybe are returning to a school this week or may continue to be teaching online. Grant to them your continued help and strength uh, day by day. And we pray too, O Lord, for those involved in the front line of nursing care uh, and uh, thinking of those in our own fellowship that are involved in that way, but thinking of the wider uh, community of doctors and nurses and scientists involved in trying to find uh, vaccines. We pray that they may know uh, your help uh, and uh, your strength and they may be kept safe as they care for those in need. We pray for comfort for those who suffer and especially comfort for those who have suffered tragic losses in the passing of loved ones. We pray too, O Lord, for the country of Zimbabwe. We pray that you will protect that country from the worst effects of this pandemic. You know the inadequacy of the health facilities there and we pray that in your mercy these may not be overwhelmed by these events. We pray, O Lord, for those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ that we love and we support there in the work. We pray for the work of the Theological College and Ray Motsi. We thank you for our brother and the staff there and pray that they may know your gracious help as they oversee the continued uh, lectures uh, using 
uh, internet technology. May they be used to equip uh, young men and women with the work of the gospel there in Zimbabwe. Pray too, O oh Lord, for the uh, various humanitarian projects that are uh, run through Zimbabwe Partnership Trust. We thank you for our partners on the ground who work on our behalf. Keep them safe and well and bless the projects that are being done at this time that they may be of real benefit uh, to the communities showing forth your love and your care and your compassion. We thank you, O oh Lord, for uh, a village chief and also a local councillor who have both come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as they have witnessed uh, Christian action in providing a health clinic for their community. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the way that even these practical things can be used to forward the work of your kingdom. And then, O oh Lord, we pray for needs within our own fellowship. You know there are a number of folk in need of our prayers at this time. Some are elderly and some are frail. And some have lost loved ones. Father, we commend to you all those who are in need and pray that they may know your comfort and your help and your sustaining grace at this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well now, before we uh, close our service, let me just remind you of um, one or two um, notices. Uh, home groups on Thursday evening and also the Friday morning daytime home group as well, uh, again this week. Also, don't forget the online uh, Sunday School and Creche that you can see on YouTube. Sunday School on Wednesday afternoons and Creche on Thursday afternoons. We're so grateful for, for Beth and for all that she does in providing uh, that facility. And then to remind you of our services again on YouTube next Sunday, uh, the morning service at 10.30 and the evening service at 6.30 as well. Now before we go, um, then uh, Tom, our pastor, wants just to introduce the next book in the church Bible reading uh, plan, uh, moving on uh, to the book of Deuteronomy. And we're just going to have a little video clip now just to introduce the book of Deuteronomy to us. Deuteronomy is a book about love. God's love for his people and the command for God's people to love him in return. Unlike Exodus and Numbers, which are books that cover many years... Deuteronomy is a book that covers just one day, in fact just one sermon. It's Moses' last sermon and it's a sermon he preached to a new generation of God's people. The old generation has died in the wilderness, that's what the book of Numbers taught us. And the new generation will go in and enter the promised land. The book of Joshua will tell us about that. But before they enter the promised land, they need to be reminded of God's love for them and they need to be called to love God in return. God loves his people. That is mentioned time and again in Deuteronomy. His love is undeserved. Israel were unimpressive when God called them and have been unfaithful to God since then. God's love is kind. He gives his people what they need laws to live by, and leaders to care for them. So as you read through Deuteronomy, think about what it teaches us about God's greatest love for us 
shown to us in Jesus, his son. God commands his people to love him. The command to love God is summarised in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This love is to be devoted, obedient and exclusive. The command to love God is then fleshed out in the laws in Deuteronomy. Laws which make Israel radically different from their neighbouring nations. Laws which will put God's glory on display for the nations to see as God's people love God. As you read the commands to love God, think about how they compare to Jesus' commands that he gives in the Sermon on the Mount. The book is structured in three parts. Chapters 1 to 11 map out the story of Israel from the Exodus to the present day, and then a call for God's people to be faithful to him. Chapters 12 to 26 are a collection of laws. Laws about worship, laws about elders, kings, priests and prophets. Laws about their life as a nation. Chapters 27 to 34 are Moses' final speech. His speech is urgent as he pleads with Israel to love God. It is disappointing because Moses knows they're going to fail, but it's a speech laced with hope because Moses knows that ultimately God will circumcise the hearts of his people, giving them the power they need to love him as they ought. Deuteronomy is a book about love, God's love for his people and the command for God's people to love him in return. Well, let's close our time together with some words from the the book of Jude, a word of exhortation and a word of benediction. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.